Welcome, listeners, to Corbett Rhodes Spring 2021 podcast. I'm your host, Jeff McCoy, managing partner for Corbett Road. In today's episode, we're going to look into value versus growth stock investing, starting with value versus growth disparity in 2020, followed by the cyclical versus growth rotation in quarter one, 2021. Inflation, is it something we should worry about? And followed last by macroeconomic views. Are we still intact for growth for the remainder of 2021? With me, as always, is Russ Sarabian, Head Portfolio Manager for Corbett Road Investment Management. Welcome, Rush. Thank you, Jeff. So, Rush, looking back at 2020, we noticed there was a huge disparity between value and growth investing. I think it was the largest disparity of returns in the history of the market. Discuss a little bit about what we saw in 2020 in reference to growth versus value for those investors out there that basically own both types of strategies. To start the year in 2020, before the COVID pandemic really took over, growth was still outperforming value stocks, partly on the backs of lower interest rates. The treasury market had not really reasserted itself and rates were actually falling to start 2020. Part of that might have been due to the fact that China was slow and there was concern in China on the impact of COVID on their economy. It had not become clear yet that it was going to spread globally like it eventually did. So growth started out strong. And what happened in the February-March period when it became clear that COVID was a global problem and not just a China problem was that the entire economy shut down. However, the parts of the economy that could operate and remain open saw accelerated growth, accelerated increase in customers. This happened with a lot of what they call the stay-at-home stocks. And the majority of the stocks, in fact, almost all of them fall under the growth category. These are technology companies. They had uh, higher amounts of earnings growth. And so what you saw is a compression of performance going years into the future to increase their revenues and their customers and their sales and bring it all into the first and second quarter of 2020. And that continued throughout most of the year. But like you said, it led to the most outperformance for stocks classified as growth versus value stocks in at least uh, 30 years. Yeah, I think in June, it was the highest outflow ever recorded out of value stocks. I think it was around 14.1 billion flowed out of value into growth during that time frame. And then, of course, we saw a reversal toward year end around December. I think there was about 13.7 billion flowed back into uh, value stocks. So it looks like we're starting to see a little bit of recovery. So where does that lead us now? We saw from a cyclical rotation out of growth in the cyclicals that we've seen in the first quarter of 2021. Tell us a little bit about why we have saw that and why are cyclicals performing well? That's the main question. I think the fact that growth did so well through the first roughly 11 months of the year, when the announcement was made for the vaccines, which was in early November, that was the beginning of this rotation into um, cyclical stocks, riskier stocks, uh, small caps, for example. It didn't really quite take off until the first quarter, but it started back in November. And what we saw is the belief with the vaccinations that being effective, that the economy was going to come back very, very strong in 2021. And no group of stocks benefits more from that than cyclical stocks, stocks that tend to do well when economic growth, specifically global economic growth, is on the rebound. Their earnings depend on the business cycle improving, getting stronger. And so we saw a massive rotation in the first quarter to those names. It was especially tied to 
the bottoming of treasury rates and the acceleration of the 10-year treasury, which was trading at the beginning of the year was still under 1% and quickly moved to almost 1.8% in a very short period of time. Uh, that actually led to one of the worst performing quarters for bonds in almost 40 years. So the combination of vaccine announcements, increasing treasury rates, and the belief that we're going to have one of the best quarters in decades has led for cyclical stocks to outperform. The increase of rates has really triggered the growth sell-off, though, in February. And growth stocks tend to be what they call longer duration. That means that the amount of money and cash flows they generate are usually years, if not decades, down the road. So when interest rates rise, those cash flows are discounted at a higher rate, which makes their present value much lower. And therefore, some of these names got sort of reassessed by the market. And it was a pretty violent rotation. Uh, things have definitely settled down since about mid-March, though. A growth and value have been performing a little bit more in line with each other. And although we expect cyclical stocks to do pretty well, uh, we think they can do really well for the rest of the year. We don't think that the amount of outperformance that they saw in that one-month period, we think it'll be much more stable going forward. Yeah, there's been a lot of discussion in first quarter about a bubble comparing it to early 2000s during the dot-com phases. What are your thoughts really on the valuation side of the market in reference to the bubble conversation? I think it's easy to say that uh, after stocks have rallied the way they have over the past year. I mean, I think the S&P is up over 80% since the bottom. Certainly, the valuation metrics that we look at are definitely on the higher side compared to history, but valuations don't exist in a vacuum. And frankly, as we mentioned in the macro musings recently, it's not the driving force behind market performance. Valuation may give you an idea of how stocks may perform, let's say, seven to 10 years out, but it's not really a good tool to tell you when they're about to drop. Other factors, much more important than that, uh, monetary policy, um, fiscal policy, the business cycle in general, those are much better at telling you or showing you when the market is headed for a downturn. Would it be fair to say we're also coming from a very different earnings outlook than we did in 2000 as well? Is that playing a factor into the market returns at this point? There's a lot of things different. You know, The biggest difference, I think, between now and the late 90s is you look at interest rates. I think the 10-year treasury was yielding 5 6 6.5%. So you were able to invest in you know, high-quality bonds and earn a very solid return. Right now, even with the rally, treasuries are yielding one5 2% on the 30-year. It's just not the same environment. So there's definitely a reach for yield, a reach for returns, and that's having an impact on valuations as well. I think beyond that, we are what we believe at the beginning early on in a business cycle, whereas in the late 1990s, the business cycle had been very strong pretty much the entire decade, but especially since 95. And so that was slowing down. The Fed was raising rates. Right now, we have the opposite. The business cycle is just getting going. The Fed it continues to you do quantitative easing. They've signaled that they don't want to raise rates until unemployment is pretty much completely recovered to pre-COVID levels. And so I just think all that these different factors are make it a very different environment than the late 1990s. So you brought up a good point about the rise in the 10-year treasury. I think we had one of the quickest rises in the 10-year treasury in a 30-day period. What does that spell for inflation going forward and how is that going to impact equities? What's our thought there on the inflation impact for equities going forward? Well, part of the increase in rates was due to worries about inflation, but part of it was just an anticipation of growth picking up. You had a stimulus package in late December worth about roughly $900 billion, 
And then they passed another stimulus package or another rescue package, if you want to call it that, for almost $2 trillion, over $2 trillion. At the same time, you have mass vaccinations happening in the United States. Uh, Europe is finally catching up. The growth cycle is turning. So all that money and the fact that the business cycle is increasing, that's really the driver. It's hard for treasuries, it's hard for bonds to be that low when all those factors are working in favor of higher rates. Certainly inflation concerns have crept up, but our view at this point, and we wrote about this in, in last month's Macro Musings, is that any inflation we see is likely to be transitory, meaning that you know it's due to supply bottlenecks that are remaining because of COVID. You've probably heard about the semiconductor shortages that the auto industry is facing and other sectors as well. And we don't anticipate long-term inflation concerns for various reasons. And those who are interested could read our macro musings from March. But right now we don't, and we're not worried about it. And looking at the data historically, stocks tend to do pretty well if inflation is low to moderate. It's when it starts getting higher, north of let's say three and a half, four, even five percent, that the stock market tends to suffer because at that point we don't expect the Fed to just sit there and let inflation run away. They're gonna start raising rates, tighten monetary policy, and that's not good for stocks historically. So Right now, it's a wait and see approach, and we don't think it's going to be a uh, a high rise in inflation, a permanent rise, just a temporary one. Perfect. Well, that gets back to our discussion. I think in the last podcast, we gave an outlook on 2021 with a second half resurgence in GDP growth. Are the factors still in place for a second half resurgence in GDP? And, and what are our thoughts going there? Are we still in place for a second half recovery from a macro perspective? Yeah, I think the recovery is ongoing. I think the GDP growth in the first quarter and the second quarter are set to be very strong and remain strong throughout the rest of the year, not quite at the same level as the first half. But everything that we outlined in our December you know, 2021 outlook seems to be moving at a, a pretty consistent pace. The one thing that I think we have not anticipated or seems a little different is that the recovery in the rest of the world is not happening as quickly as we anticipated. There's been delays in vaccinations in Europe, which has slowed their economy. There was an additional COVID wave that led to some temporary lockdowns, which slowed things down there. And Asia's also going through the same thing. So what we've seen is the US leading the globe in growth. And what we would expect next is that to Europe to recover, and then hopefully Asia and East Asian economies as well. So it's almost, you're looking almost like a staggered recovery. But the general trend in growth, both in the US and globally, is up. Economies are recovering. PMIs are rising. That's the manufacturing surveys. And things are looking pretty upbeat for the rest of the year. Perfect. Well, what does that mean as a closing thought for those clients that are looking at either value versus growth investing or US versus international investing? What are your final thoughts really on diversification, the effectiveness of diversification, how long these typically rotations may last? Any final thoughts for our listeners? Well, we always advocate having a piece of your wealth in a diversified asset allocation portfolio in order to anticipate or not have to anticipate, I should say, these changes. We, you know, is international going to do better than US? Is emerging markets going to do better than developed international markets? Are mid caps going to do better than large caps? An asset allocation portfolio sort of takes that away and allows you to own a piece of each of these asset classes and, and participate in the global market, essentially, 
So if you have that as part of your portfolio, then some of these changes and factors that we discussed won't necessarily be relevant. You'll be exposed to each of these markets and be able to participate in, of course, the good and the bad. Tactically, we are trying to manage around these along with looking at Macrocast and assessing where we think the opportunities are for us in our own uh, tactical strategies. So that's how I would really look at the approach overall. As always, Rush, we really appreciate your thoughts and insight. For additional information on Corbett Road and our macro views, go to www.corbettroad.com and click on Macro Musings for, for additional thoughts from Rush and his team. As always, we greatly appreciate you listening and stay tuned for next time during our summer edition of podcast. I'm Jeff McCoy, your host. Thank you.